0: Well, hey, everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson with I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson on Market Scale. We're taking a little bit of a departure today from our usual healthcare discussions. Really excited to have my guest, Amy Herman, on today. And Amy is an attorney, she's an art historian. Uh, she's an author of a recent book called Fixed How to Perfect the Fine Art of Problem Solving. So, Amy, welcome to I Don't Care.
1: Thanks, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks. We're really happy to have you on. So, so Amy, Amy uses works of art to sharpen observation, analysis, and communication skills. And, and she helps to teach her clients a lot about visual intelligence and really utilizing art to better problem solve. And so, so Amy, talk to us a little bit about how you got into this work, because this, this is kind of a niche little uh, uh, deal that you do.
1: Yeah, it is really a niche. And as I'm listening to your introduction, I'm sure your listeners are, are thinking, yeah, right, art. Like, that's really going to help me do my <laughs> are you kidding me? As someone said to me the other day, what's in it for me? And I can tell you, actually, what's in it for you. Uh, as you said in your intro, thank you for that. Uh, I am what I call a recovering attorney, and I'm also an art historian. And I like to think that I took the practical aspects of each of those disciplines, legal analysis and visual analysis, mm-hmm them. I'm also an entrepreneur. I combined them to create my company 22 years ago. And I was working for a small gem of an art museum here in New York City called the Frick Collection. And mm-hmm. it was there that I started this program. And the concept of visual intelligence means two things. Number one, seeing what matters. You know, we're bar- with information we get. We have texts. We have a 24 seven news cycle. We have emails. We have phone. We, as someone said to me today, I'm in the office, I, I can't get any work done. You know, it's like- <laughs> I can you know, relate cross. to
0: that.
1: Isn't that great? So, or she said, I'm at work, I can't get any work done. Mm-hmm. So the idea of seeing what matters and goes hand in hand with tuning out the noise. You know, there's so much mm-hmm. to get to what we really need not only to be more effective in our professions but have better relationships in our family and engage more substantively in the world. So visual intelligence is, getting through all that noise and seeing what other people don't? How can we look at our resources and see things and be creative and innovative in ways that other people don't?
0: Yeah, you know, I I was listening to your 2018 TED Talk, which I found really fascinating. And and you talked a lot about about seeing what's not there, which I I really enjoy. I'd like to talk a little bit further about that. And also you mentioned the four A's of visual visual, uh, intelligence. Let's talk about those two, because I think that sets the stage for my listeners and viewers of really about how this can how this can make every, all of our lives a little bit easier.
1: Absolutely. So I work across the professional spectrum. I work with everybody from trauma surgeons to uh, you know CIA analysts to FBI surveillance agents, to hospice workers, and everybody in between. So how can you have one methodology that's applicable to everyone? And the way that I break it down, Is a very simple system that you called four A's. Mm -hmm. Every patient, every new crime, every new new crime scene, every new client, any new problem, any new board meeting, anything that you are working on, you practice four A's almost instinctively. First, you assess your situation. You say, "Okay, what do I have in front of me? Let's articulate. Let's put parameters around the situation. Mm -hmm. Then you analyze it. You say, "Okay, what information do I really need here? What can I get rid of? And how do I prioritize what I have to ultimately make a decision? Third, you articulate it. You tell your team, you send an email, you send a text, you have a meeting, you talk to your client, and four, you act, you make a decision. You assess, you analyze, you articulate, and you act probably hundreds of times a day, but you never down that way. And I wanna remind people how inextricably intertwined observation, perception, and effective communication are to practicing those four A's. We can all get better at it. And I simply use art as a data at your art as data to give people a new tool to really perfect those four A's. Because we all do them.
0: Yeah, and, and that's really true. Yeah, my, my intern was in the office whenever I was watching uh, your TED talk. And, and we started talking about, I said, you know, I, I, I think of myself as fairly visually intelligent because early on in my career, I did a lot of business development in healthcare, And so whenever I would go into a referral, uh, you know, a referral office, like a physician or, or a case manager or whatever, the first thing I'd do would be, I would scan their office to find ways that we can connect. And, you know, some of it was art, some of it was diplomas, family photos, whatever. But I would find that first piece of, of information that I could use to start that connecting and start that really that relationship. That would blossom over the years and hopefully turn into referrals. So, you know, I I get what you're talking about. So, uh, so, you know, like you said earlier, people are like art really come on, you know, so how do you measure success when you're teaching people to look at art and and really honing their skills uh, regarding this.
1: Well, as I said before, I'm using art as data. So when, when people say to me, oh, what do you do for a living? And I tell them, they scratch their heads and they say, are you teaching hops art history? And I'm not at all. What I'm doing, I'm thinking about that left right brain thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The people that I work with are working in analytics and numbers and revenue and projections and profit and loss. And I, for my sessions and for my readers, I want to give that part of their brain a little bit of a rest, engage their right brain so that when they return to their left brain, they will see things more perceptively. And mm-hmm. you know this is going to sound a little corny, but I really believe this. I think the best things and the best ideas happen on the exit ramp of your comfort zone. I think that when you leave what you do day to day, because you're so ingrained and so a nerd, I think that you have, it refreshes your whole sense of critical inquiry. Yeah. And as a cop once said to me years ago, he came up to me afterwards and he said, can I tell you something about this? And I thought, uh-oh, here it comes. Huh. He said, you kept talking about going outside the box. You took me so far outside the box. I know what to look for when I go back in. And you know, you said something that really that really resonated with me. When you're trying to form that human connection, when you're in someone's office and you look at their diplomas or their books or their photographs, we can even do that on a simpler level. And, and again, I'm not trying to say this, uh, but it's about using visual information. When you go into a restaurant and your server's tag says, Steve, And when he takes your order and you say, thanks, Steve, so much, I'm looking forward to my dinner, Mm -hmm. change the whole nature of the relationship by calling someone by their name. And I'm not saying to do that to get better service, but human to human, we make connections with people and it enriches everything from the service that you get to the conversations that you have. And you never know where that next business is going to come from. And it just makes our engagement that much less superficial.
0: Absolutely. You know, you touched on something else that I do all the time. I, I love that. Yeah, you know, whenever a server comes up and says, Hi, my name is Bob, I'll go, Hey Bob, I'm Kevin. I'll I'll introduce the table just for fun. And it <laughs> honestly it. It, it does. It changes the dynamic, and it's not, you know, it's not somebody coming up and serving us, it, it's a relationship. And so
1: and it doesn't so, cost anything. No,
0: not and at all.
1: it's exactly the visual intelligence we're talking about. You see the name. Or they say your name, you take that intelligence and you turn it around. Mm -hmm. So little effort. When we talk to customer service on the phone and they pick up and say, hi, it's Molly, Delta Airlines. Thanks for calling. And you say, hi, Molly, how are you? I can't tell you. It's people in their tracks. And I know this sounds, you know, overly simple. It's not. It's the world we live in.
0: Yeah, you're right. And particularly, you know, in and around the pandemic, so many people have lost relationships. And so now You know, whenever you do something like that, it's amplified so much more. So so it's
1: all about the visual.
0: Yeah. So before we get into what I you know, and the reason that I'm kind of catty corner from my usual recording is I wanted to show the painting in my office. But before we get to that, let's talk about, you know, what are what are the three questions that you must ask to master the, the, the art of problem solving, as you put it?
1: Well, it's a good question because my my new book, uh, which is called Fixed, How to Perfect... Hold it up.
0: Let's everybody see so it. There we go. Yep,
1: there it is. Um, it uses the artistic process, how artists create works of art and this analysis of works of art to help people solve problems. Because I realized five years ago, why are all these people coming to me? Because they all have problems to solve. And mm-hmm. if anything in this pandemic, yesterday's solutions are not going to solve tomorrow's problems. And so I'm I'm shifting the paradigm a little bit. And there are three questions and they use this in the intelligence community all the time. And I, I find it very effective to approach problems. You start by asking, what do I definitively know about the situation? And mm-hmm. it's running it through your head. It's saying out loud or typing in, what do I definitively know? The second question is, what don't I know? And mm-hmm. t- how do I know what I don't know? Take it from a different angle. Identify what's missing here. Identify what's missing mm-hmm. question is, if I had the opportunity to get more information, what do I need to know? So you need to sort through all the stuff you don't know, and you probably don't need to know everything you don't know. Yeah. If you have the opportunity to get information. What's the one thing you need to know? And you can then focus your efforts and delegate accordingly to your team, and say, Look, I can't make a decision yet because I'm missing X, y, missing X, Y, and Z. You mm-hmm. find X, you find Y, and I'll find Z, and let's reconvene in an hour and try to solve the problem.
0: Okay. Okay, that's very cool. All right, so like I said, I've got this painting in my office. You know, I, I, told, I told you just a little bit about it beforehand. Forget that. Okay, let, let's take, I want you to take me kind of through your process using my painting in my office.
1: Okay, All so right. so when we first came on the Zoom together, I saw you standing there, but I saw that you were off to the side and the painting was very much in the screen. So. Mm-hmm. When- was he wants me to see this it's part of your picture and I'm going to say from now on when I think of you Kevin I'm going to think golfer and what I saw in the picture was a flag I saw a beautiful sunny day and I saw a green and trees now I'll recognize a golf course a hundred miles away but the flag so I see the flag I see the foreground I see the background I see the sunny my first thought was it was a photograph and Mm -hmm. then I Well, it's displayed prominently in an office. He's got diplomas on the other side. He wants people to see this because he's proud of this in his office. And when I talked about visual intelligence using this, it would be a natural thing for me to say, Kevin, what's that image on the back? I think it says Dallas National. I see a D Uh and what is that? I'm not from Texas. I assume it's something to do with Dallas. I assume it has to do with the outside and I can recognize a golf course, a green. And then with you connecting, saying, well, I love to golf and this was, you know, a picture and someone painted it, Uh forms a connection with us. And, you know, one of the things I've learned, I learned many things by being a practice attorney, but one of them was about how human we all are. And a senior lawyer once said to me, you know, Amy, how a judge decides on your case has less to do with the facts of your case than what that judge had for breakfast and, and how they feel. when they they are on the bench hearing your argument. And I thought, well, that's just crazy. It's not crazy at all. There are judges that can't stand to be, to hear cases from four to five o'clock in the afternoon. They wanna get out of there. And there are judges that love to take the bench at nine o'clock in the morning. And that has so much to do with how receptive they are to your argument. So my point being, when I look at your painting in the background, what it says to me without my having to open your mouth and you having to open your mouth is you're proud of this, you want it to be in our screen. Mm-hmm. It reflects something about you. And I want to make that connection because if I want to get to know you better, because we've never met before, I'm going to ask you about that picture in the back. OK,
0: OK. Really interesting because you've hit the nail on the head on a lot of different levels of this. You know? Dallas National, very exclusive golf club in, in, in Dallas. Uh, I had the opportunity to play it one time. I played it badly, as I always do when I play golf, but I love golf. I was there. It was a beautiful day. I was there with good friends. We had a wonderful time. We took this photo and then, you know, I went back and and I'm looking at the photo and I'm like, gosh, I really want to do more with that. And then I remembered a good friend of mine in Kentucky, an artist, Kim Perry. There you go, Kim, we'll shout out for you. Kim Perry paints golf landscapes and flags are one of her specialties. And so I, I wanted to support her, you know, struggling artist wanted to support her. So I sent her the photo. I said, Kim, what do you think? She goes, I'd love to do it.
1: That's and so, that's so
0: wonderful. You know, about two months later, I get this beautiful framed work of art back from my very friend. And I, you're right. I'm really proud of it. Not because I played really badly that day, but, but because it was such a good day.
1: Well, you know, the other thing that, that strikes me and that's such a nice story to go with it. Every time you walk into your office, day, night, long day, hard day, that makes you happy. Yeah. Let's not sell happiness short here. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of it coming out. And anything that's going to positively affect our world, let's do it. And I'm not saying that as some touchy-feely concept. You love to play golf. Doesn't matter if you're good or not. You love to play golf. And that just enhances your office. And frankly, Kevin, to me, that picture is more meaningful than your diplomas. I see them back there. I don't yeah. see when you went to school. I don't see what your degree's in. That tells me more about you and what you love than those diplomas on the yeah. way.
0: Yeah, I, I would say you're right. So so thanks. Well, that was very cool. It you know kind of shows your process a little bit. All right. And some of, some of the prep questions that, that I was, went through and some that your folks sent me, this one got me. Uh, I got to know more about it. How to clean your lens, change your shoes, and define the project. What the heck does that mean?
1: Well, it's very simple. But you know what? We use those phrases all the time. And my sense is that when we have to problem solve We are interested in getting from point A to point B. Let's just solve whatever it is, whether it's our kids grades are falling at school or the car broke down and we both need to be in different places. I mean, we have all different kinds of problems. So what I ask people to do is to clean their lenses and step back and say, you know what? I can't get to a solution in my normal way of thinking. Let me clean my lenses and think about this from a different perspective let me think about trying to find a solution by stepping out of my own shoes and stepping into somebody else's Mm -hmm. look at something i hate to break this to people when i tell them it's not all about you (laughs) no i really hate to tell that to my family they think there you go (laughs) because the bottom line is kevin there's always another way to see something Mm -hmm. and it's as simple as saying to someone well how would you articulate the problem or what do you see here and you will be amazed how different it is from your own perception. And I think that, you know, we, we gain a lot. There's a lot of net value in saying to someone, can you tell me your impression of this? And, and it you'll go from this to this, you'll go from, you know, myopia and narrow vision to broadening your vision and mm-hmm. truthfully multiple perspectives make for better decision-making. So when I say clean your lenses and change your shoes, I'm not saying you have to walk in somebody's shoes. I'm saying to meet them where they are, to say yeah. to them, what? I may not agree with you, but I'm going to meet you where you are to listen to your position in the hope that you will listen to mine. I'm not conceding to your position. I want to hear it. Mm -hmm. I want to how you got to where you are. In return, I want you to hear where I got to where I am. And maybe there's more middle ground than we realize. So by stepping back, cleaning your lenses and my glasses are dirty all the time anyway. So I make a practice of cleaning my lenses and changing my shoes. It helps us define the problem in a way that's not all about me. Multiple perspectives, I think, make for better and more informed decision making. So that's where the lenses and the shoes come in.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's that's really cool. All right. So, you know, I have an exciting job. I'm blessed, but there's a lot of people out there that have really boring, mundane jobs. So, you know, what, what if their jobs are just so boring, so mundane, so you know, the antithesis of creativity? How can they still use an artist's creative process to solve their frankly boring problems?
1: Well, this is what I used to, I I raised my son, my poor child grew up with the art of perception, poor kid was always looking at works of art. And I was always asking him questions and he'd say, not again, mom. But this was one little assignment that I gave him. He's in college now and we still talk about this. I ask people, and again, if you, if you have a day-in, day-out job that either you don't love or you don't find it creative, this is what I tell people to do. Every day, I want you to go out there in the morning or whenever you go to work, and I want you to notice one thing that you didn't notice the day before. Hmm. Just one thing. And so because we, we do the same thing every day, but no two days are ever the same, and I don't want you to just make a mental note of it. You can take your phone, you can just Take a page of notes, and every day, I want you to type in the one thing that you noticed that day that you didn't notice the day before. Mm-hmm. And what you do, it engages the elasticity in your brain, so that if you train your brain to do that every day, you're going to start noticing more and more things, and that makes the day more interesting. Yeah. It's point A to point B, and when I tr- when I teach students, I say to them, just write it down. Write it down on your phone. Take a note. Take a picture. One thing so that you start to accumulate these things and then your brain does it. Because as one of my intelligence colleagues says, I love this line, he says, neurons that wire together, fire together. So when we're looking at works of art, your brain in a way that no other stimuli does. And my hope is that when your neurons are firing together and looking at at works of art, they're gonna come together and wire together when you need to solve a problem in a different way.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm in the midst of, uh, I'm getting another degree. Uh, I'm, I'm actually getting it at a small college that it, it's a historically black college and university, you know? So, so I'm, I'm in a position that I've frankly never been in where, where I'm a minority.
1: And what so else to you for doing that, Kevin, that'd be you know, cool. Talk about perspective changing.
0: That's exactly, that's where I'm going because you, awesome. know, you get in there and, and, and I'm, I'm, On Zoom calls with with people from around the country, around the world, all different ethnicities, all different levels of healthcare, some not in healthcare. But the really cool thing that's happened throughout this process is it's really kick-started my creative thinking and and really challenging perspectives. And so, you know, that's the same thing. You know, I see that kind of yeah, a different form of art, frankly. But but I see how that, you know, how you utilize art to get people. To just totally think differently.
1: I think that is such a wonderful connection that you just made because when you go to a historically Black college and you're sitting in a room and you say to yourself, I've never been the only white person in a room yeah. or I've never been one of three white people in a whole room and it it makes you think differently and it's irreversible. You're always going to be thinking yeah. about what are other people's perspectives and that does nothing but inform your decision making and make you Think differently, and I think better decisions. Everybody talks about best practices. Best practices. But what are best practices? It's taking in multiple perspectives and thinking about others in your decision making.
0: Yeah.
1: So I keep saying to CEOs, it's not all about you. Notice the theme coming out of that one. Right.
0: Right. Absolutely. So good for you. Not only are you
1: furthering your education, you're furthering your ability to see other perspectives.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> well thanks. It's been it's been a lot of fun and been a good challenge late in life. So. <laughs> You. So here's something you know. You're, you're, whenever we look at art, oftentimes there's there's really you know there's perspectives that challenge us and frankly make us very uncomfortable. So how do you manage those contradictions? And I see and, and re- repair mistakes with gold. Talk to me about that.
1: Well, if what I've learned in my study of art history and talking with so many people across across the professional spectrum is. One of the things that we all have in common, we all make mistakes, Mm -hmm. all human. And I've tried to shift the paradigm in thinking about those mistakes. And the way that I've done that both in the book and in my teaching is by looking at a Japanese process in pottery called kintsugi. And what kintsugi is, is the Japanese potters and ceramicists, they make bowls and vases and cups. Mm -hmm. It's inevitable that they're gonna come out asymmetric or broken or cracked, right? Mm Instead of throwing that flawed pottery away, what these artisans do is they put the pieces back together and they fill the cracks in with gold and silver and platinum. And you know what happens to those objects? They become more precious and more valuable than they've been perfect in the first place, because each one is unique and each one Mm -hmm. has its own history. So I try to take that model. And what I say to my participants and my readers, look, I know none of you are ceramicists. I get that but how are you practicing kintsugi? How are you fixing what's broken with resources that you already have? Because Mm -hmm. what I love about repairing mistakes with gold and putting the pottery back together, not only do you honor the struggle that you're having, Mm -hmm. bring those mistakes to the fore so everybody can see what's wrong. And not only are you saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm human. I made the mistakes and I went on to fix it. You're showing other people the mistakes and maybe you can save them from making those very same mistakes. So when I say repair mistakes with gold, let's take mistakes out of the negative column mm-hmm. and we're all going to make them. Let's honor the struggle and let's work them into our solutions and show people the mistakes we made and the solutions we came to notwithstanding.
0: Very cool. Yeah, there's someone that I know that uses the term perfectly imperfect.
1: Perfectly so, imperfect.
0: You know, that that's exactly, you know, as you said, you know, Bring the mistakes out, but but yeah, you know, take take that negative connotation away.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Because so you here, it's
0: universal. <laughs> yeah. Right. So so here's a here's an issue that I have. Okay. I'm a procrastinator. I just am. Yeah. You know, i we all? human. Why aren't we all? So how can how can art how can how can this process help me to set a deadline
1: and actually
0: yeah you know, achieve
1: that deadline? Here's my feeling about deadlines. We also all have deadlines. Yeah. When they're looming, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. For procrastinators like the two of us, it just it 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 can subsume you. Yes. So what you do is not what people want to hear, but it's actually really practical. Don't have one deadline. Give yourself five of them. And what you do by giving yourself five small deadlines is they're much more digestible. They're much more accessible, and then you celebrate each one. Hey, I did that. Mm-hmm. Let me move on to the next one, and then you can turn around and say, you know, that wasn't so bad. I still have more to do, and I'm going to give you some a really personal example, Kevin. I am most gratefully a cancer survivor. Oh, um, I, had, I was diagnosed with thank you aggressive cancer in 2014, and when the doctor said you're going to need chemotherapy, you're going to need surgery, you're going to lose all your hair, and I said, you know, I don't have time for this. <laughs> and she said, you better make The time. If you don't make the time in six months, you're not going to be here to to do Mm -hmm. it. So I shifted very quickly. And you know what I did? I thought, oh my God, 16 sessions of chemotherapy. What am I going to do? One at a time. Mm -hmm. Celebrating every Friday, no matter how lousy I felt, as my father said to me, every session of chemo is one step closer to the end. That's right. Celebrated every step. And everybody listening today has walked this walk with someone they love or themselves chemo got me closer to that finish line and everyone was doable and so I apply that to problem solving break it into small pieces celebrate those milestones at every chemo I thought you know I did this and I felt better I'm going to do it next time we break it down for procrastinators like us and when you break it into those small pieces those deadlines they don't loom so large anymore
0: yeah well it's like one of my favorite old adages how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time.
1: There you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: So, so in the last few minutes that we have to, together, Amy, yeah, just what, what are some of your final thoughts that you'd like to leave my, my uh, folks with?
1: I have two. Okay. And I can't, uh, I probably can't take credit for both of them, but I have integrated them into my teaching. And I think they're so valuable for all of us. The first one, Kevin, is, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. good is good enough. We are hard on ourselves. We're hard on each other. And there are times we just have to accept that good is going to be good enough and move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Trying to say we shouldn't aspire to perfection. Sure, we can. But when it's appropriate and you know you can't get to perfection, take good and run with it. That's number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, I'm going to take from Henry James, he said something that just resonates with me so much. He said, and it's really the overarching goal for anybody that reads my books about visual intelligence or takes part in my sessions, try to be the person on whom nothing is lost. Try to be that person who sees and hears and absorbs so much. And it means you're all in and you're listening and you're trying not to be distracted. And if you find that you're the person on whom nothing is lost, You will take so much away and it will not only make you better at your job, better at your life, but it will just underscore your relationships and your engagement with the world. So don't let perfection be the enemy of good and try to be the person on whom nothing is
0: lost. Wow. Both just wonderful bits of advice. That is just tremendous. Thank you. Amy Harmon, it's been a a distinct pleasure. Amy, your book Fixed How to... to perfect the fine art of problem solving. Just came out uh, December of 21, congratulations. Thank you very much. Okay, so a couple of things, because hey, I want to promote you. Thank you. Give us the website of your your company.
1: I certainly will. My company is artfulperception.com, A-R-T-F-U-L. And you can also go to artfulbooks.com, which gives you all the information about my books. And I'm also on social media at Amy Herman, A-O-P, which stands for Art of Perception.
0: Very good. Okay. Well, Amy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for being on I Don't Care with me today.
1: Kevin, it was lovely, lovely talking to you. And I hope you get on the golf course soon. And thanks for having me as a guest.
0: Thanks. I, I hope so, too. Well, guys, that's it for uh, I Don't Care for today. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We we learned a lot today. So we're, I'm really excited about that. You know how to find us, marketscale.com. We drop on Friday mornings typically. uh, And you know you can find us on Spotify and iTunes. So I'll end today like I always do. If you haven't subscribed to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson, why not? With that, we'll see you next week. Take care.